Welcome to Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast sponsored by FBL Sport. My name's Adam Webster, and today I'm joined by the Pick and Roll's Warren Yu. Warren, welcome to Unwrap for the very first time. You've got a really important piece coming out uh, this week on the Pick and Roll. You can head to pickandroll.com.au to check that out. Do you want to introduce uh, what you've been writing about, what you've been researching? You spent quite a bit of time on this piece. Yeah, thanks, Adam, and thanks for having me. Um, this is a story close to my heart in the sense that a few years ago I wrote a story that covered um, Asian representation within uh, elite basketball in Australia. So a natural progression a few years down the line is essentially what about exploring Asian representation at the highest level, which is the NBA? So this got me down a bit of a rabbit hole. You know, what what was the representation numbers like since guys like Yao Ming um, strode on the biggest stage in the world. There was obviously the Jeremy Lin, essentially saga, right, in the in the 2010s as well. So that got me down this rabbit hole that led me to a fascinating um, player called James Wang. Um, James, um, obviously, we'll get to know him a bit in this podcast, but he became a bit of the centerpiece of this case study. Um, and it's definitely an interesting story in terms of exploring the representation, why we haven't seen more, I guess, despite how passionate people are in Asia about basketball um, and I guess what the future holds. Well, I guess I better introduce our very, very special guest on this show. Thank you, Warren. Looking forward to reading the piece. But we have the Director of Athlete Marketing for Priority Sports on the line himself, James Wang. James, thank you so much for being on Unwrapped and being a part of Warren's piece. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me. James, we've we've got a bunch of questions to get into about your background and your current role. It's really fascinating. We don't get the opportunity to talk to people that are involved in agency endorsements, that sort of stuff. So do you just want to introduce uh, your background as a student athlete and former pro prior to your current year and uh, current career and give us a bit of an indication as to the journey that you went on to get to where you are today. Yeah, as, as Warren would tell you, it's uh, it's not, you know, it's not a short story, uh, my background, but I guess uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, you know, I was born in Taiwan. Uh, family moved to Sydney when I was two. Um, you know, grew up in Sydney until I was 16 uh, and then headed off and finished high school in the States. Uh Started at a high school down in Florida. I'm sure everyone's pretty familiar with it these days, Montbert Academy, um, where Ben Simmons went. Yeah. Um, and then uh, did a did a postgraduate high school year, I guess you'd call it, in, in Connecticut. And then played my college basketball at, at Williams, which, you know, no one pretty much in the basketball world would have heard of until uh, until recently, where, where Duncan Robinson now, you know, that's where he started his college career and even the head coach of the the Utah Jazz was a uh, was a former teammate at Williams for me. Um, you know, from there, uh, you know, had a pretty uh, pretty fun and, and and good career there. And uh, you know, uh, the Australian thing, it you know, um, comes back around. Uh, and had the fortunate opportunity to to play for Brian Gorgian, uh, or at least start my professional career with uh, with Brian Gorgian. Um, you know, in Dongguan in, in, in the CBA and uh, a couple things happened, you know, from like a, a registration standpoint, little, um, you know, Chinese red tape, I guess, uh, which kicked me to 
uh, Taiwan to play a full season and then came back to China where, uh, you know, I spent uh, three years um, in the, uh, in the Chinese NBL there. Um, and then, yeah, uh, you know, moved back to the U S in, in 2016, uh, got married to, to my wife and, you know, kicked off the, uh, the, the non-athletic career out here. James, you obviously talked about your high school journey briefly just then, but you fell under the tutelage of the famed Ed Smith program pretty early on in your journey. Um, what was it like training under Ed Smith? And, and tell us about those grueling sessions and the players you scrimmaged with. It's intense. Uh, you know, he 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 had, he had a reputation back then of, of you know, very high intensity kind of um, training sessions and wasn't for everyone. Um, looking back, like, are there better ways to go about it and, and achieve, you know, you know, getting to the U S and getting a college scholarship and, and all that, like, yes, but it was very, you know, it, it defined, you know, how I played the game, how I viewed the game. It built, uh, you know, really, really, really good habits, you know, uh, and it more than anything, like from a mental standpoint, like once you go through what, uh, you know, once you go through his program and getting coached by him, like, you know, nothing phases you anymore. Right. Like he pushes you to your physical limit. And so, you know, nothing, uh, subsequently from there, did I ever feel like I was, uh, unable to achieve physically, um, and he pushed you to your mental limit too. Right. And so, um, you know, very thankful for it they're very thankful for the experience and you know he's he's uh he's he's someone you know i still keep in touch with him a little bit here and there and you know someone who's you know had a dramatic effect on my life that resilience seems to be really important not only as a pro athlete but in your professional career do you think that that sort of paved the way for you to be able to be successful in multiple different professional ventures yeah absolutely i mean the to describe like what the program was like we you know, day started at 5 a.m., right? Practice started at 5.45. So you're up at 5, right? Which for a, what, uh, uh, when I started, it was like 14. For a 14-year-old kid, that's not, you know, that's not natural, right? <laughs> to go to bed at 9 o'clock and wake up at, at 5. So even so even that, like the discipline you needed to, to be able to survive, because if you didn't get a good night's sleep, like, uh, you know, one, you'd have a bad training session, but also like you'd have a bad day at school too. Um and so, yeah, like the discipline required to to get through his program, like it just, you know, traveling, you know, halfway around the world, being away from your family, being away from anything that you know, but the fact that you're wired mentally to, you know, be disciplined, stay focused, um, basically just lock in to, to what's ahead. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it defined, you know, it just set me up for success uh, throughout everything. So, what type of player were you and who were your contemporaries? I think um, just getting an idea of timeline, when did you come onto the scene and, and who was blowing up at that time? Who did you go, you know, mono e mono against and find to be, you know, your strongest opponents? I was at Montverde from 2005 to 2007. Um, and so the program then is – uh, was not what it is today, right? Like it was still a very, very, very elite program. My, my, my last year there, we didn't lose a game. We went undefeated the entire season. Um, but the players that we had, 
we had, I think, nine Division One players um, on my, you know, my last year, on my senior year um, team. One of them became a second round draft pick. Today, Montbert Academy, like their whole starting five goes in the first round of the NBA draft. So <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, you know, just trying to think, you know, who, who my contender. The, the, the second round pick was, um, you know, my best friend, Solomon Olive, who ended up at Florida State. Um, you know, he was, you know, seven foot, um, a little raw, but, um, you know, just physically just, you know, unbelievable. I mean, in the state of Florida at the time, gosh, uh, you know, Chandler Parsons was, was a big prospect. Nick Calathes, um, was a big prospect in the state of Florida as well. The, the top guys in that class were guys like Derek Rose, which I never got to, you know, some of a lot of these guys I didn't come across, um, like De- Derek Rose, Kevin Love and, and all yeah. that, but, um, but yeah, it was, you know, the biggest thing about playing at Montford was the practices were harder than, uh, the games, right. Cause you know, you came across any kind of local high school. It was, you know, we were beating teams by like 60, you know, 70, whatever. Um, it was every day. It was basically nine division one guys in the gym, just, just basically killing each other. That's, uh, that was kind of the, the fun part of it. What sort of player were you? What sort of role did you fulfill in the team? It's funny when you talk about, I guess, my basketball development. Um, you know, when I was in, when I was growing up in Sydney, I was more of a shooter. Uh, you know, I was yeah, six feet tall, which when you're, when you're um, 14, 15, 16, it's actually decent size for a shooting guard. Um, and so, you know, I always played my brother as well, who was a point guard. And so, it, you know, in order to play with him, I had to uh, figure out, you know, how to play without the ball. But you know, with this size and, you know, needing to, you know, to have success in this country, like, uh, you, you just can't be a six foot shooting guard. Right. So like, uh, transition to more of a kind of a ball handling point guard role, which was the biggest challenge. Right. Um, uh, you know, what I was telling Warren, you know, Australian ball pressure at, you know, back then it was the definition of that was like a two, three zone. Um, and so there wasn't really much ball pressure, but you came to America and you got six foot, six, two guys that are 200 pounds that also play football at the same time, just hawking you 94 feet. It's, you know, that was definitely the toughest transition. It's a different beast, right? Yeah, it is. It is, man. Like it's, uh, you, yeah, you, it's something that you, you don't see, it's, uh, no matter how many suicides Ed Smith makes you run, just, just can't prepare for it until you get thrown into it, you know? Dial into that kind of Australian flavor then, um, James. During that college, I guess, selection process, um, you kind of considered um, St. Nichols. Um, tell us what would that roster and playing style have looked like with, you know, the Australian connection that you referenced previously? Yeah, it would have been fun. I mean, back then, Nichols State had... It was, uh, it was, I guess, the lesser version of St. Mary's, right? Like, um, I think the connection was David Patrick, who used to be at St. Mary's, um, at one point was at Nickel State, and they created, you know, another Australian pipeline there. And so it was, um, it would have been fun. Like, it was, it was a very hard decision to say no to them. But at the time, there was, I think, five or six Australians on the team. One of them actually, he was a, he was a senior that was graduating, Stefan Blasinski. It's funny because, you know, I kind of remembered him when I was a kid in Sydney and uh, I think he was from Bankstown um, and how good he was. And so it was, uh, it was tough. It would have been, it would have been really, really fun. It would have, would have thrown me back to, you know, pretty much playing at home. You know, my official visit there, they had me just basically hang out with, with all of them. And it didn't even feel like I was in Louisiana, Thibodeau, Louisiana, where it was, Um, you know, it felt like I was, 
back in Australia to, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, it would have been fun. We would have, we would have, we would have moved the ball. We would have shot it. Um, and maybe we wouldn't have defended that well. Who, who, who knows? But, um, it would have been really fun. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I guess the way I, I looked at my path, it, while basketball was the biggest driver of what I did, you know, I ultimately kind of valued the academic side of things too and the opportunity to basically have the best of both worlds here, right? Like the, the, the biggest thing in Australia was kind of the parallel between, you know, high educate like a good education and as well as a really intense basketball program. It, it stopped at high school, right? All the there's no real college basketball program uh, in Australia or, or, or anything or system, I would say. But in, in America, like there are like you can go to an elite level college while also playing at an elite level um, from a basketball perspective. So ultimately it came down to that for me and why I didn't end up, you know, at Nickel State. Indoor sports are often played on dusty, dirty, or humidity-affected courts. Lack of grip hinders an athlete's performance. To be at your best, choose GripX. GripX is a new high-performance shoe grip spray using a special locally tested and patented formula. A couple of sprays of GripX on the soles of your shoes provides athletes with confidence via reliable stability, movement, and accuracy. Used by athletes at all levels and abilities on hardcourt sports such as basketball, futsal, squash, volleyball, and badminton, GripX does not affect natural movements but supports controlled actions when surface conditions aren't great. GripX is available in five amazing scents including apple, vanilla, and orange. At just $17.95 each, make sure you're ready to take the court anytime, anywhere thanks to GripX. Available only online at grip-x.com.au. Now, you ended up playing in the the Chinese NBL or the CBA as it's known. Um, how has that competition sort of evolved? We've seen in Australia, I guess, 10, 15 years ago, when import players came in, it was, you know, always considered by locals to be that they were so far above the locals. Um, and now the gap has kind of uh, gotten less and less over the years. I imagine it's the same with the CBA as well. When Stefan Marbury went over there many years ago, um, he was, you know, treated like a superstar and he was, um, in the NBA, he was extremely popular. Um, have you seen the gap sort of shorten in the CBA as well? Like it has in here in Australia and, and have seen fans kind of make sure that they have the respect for local players, that they're on the same level as the imports. The NBL in China is, I guess what would be considered the second league. It runs through the summer, uh, you know, second to the, the CBA that runs through the winter, but uh the money that was being invested in the nbl at the time too there was more than enough money to bring over a lot of guys um with nba experience right so basically you know hassan whiteside played uh in the nbl in the chinese nbl right before he signed a 120 million dollar contract with the heat right and so you know day in and day out you were you were coming across a guy that you know like you know an import that you know, when I was playing in the US could easily, you know, tell you his career path without even looking up, you know, without, without even Googling him, right? Like, you know, Earl Clark was one, right? Like he, he came over and like, dude, you started over Pal Gasol, like on, on a team with Kobe and, and, and Steve Nash, right? So like, it was, it was a really neat experience to, you know, basically test yourself uh, against these guys that have, been to the the pinnacle of basketball all right um and, and just see how you go now you know i got my ass kicked a lot um you know, one 
um, some of these some of these guards that have spent time in the NBA, you know, you know, they're still really, really, really good. And so, um, but you know, it was it was a great challenge. The, as far as the gap goes, you know, it's been you know it's been seven years since I've watched a, a Chinese basketball game. To be completely honest, I, I I'm not going to lie; I don't regularly tune in to uh, to Chinese professional games from from over here, but. The feeling that I get is that the gap over there has not necessarily closed probably as much as they would like. They're, it sounds like they're implementing more and more rules to limit, um, like import time on the, on the, um, on the court and, you know, import, um, you know, limiting, you know, how much you can pay for an import. So therefore you're not going to get like someone as good as Stefan Marbury on your team anymore. Um, but still a lot of those guys have NBA experience up and down the CBA. Um, the indication, I mean, just even watching the Olympics, like, you know, it's, it's tough to say, but like, probably not to be, to be completely honest, I guess, you know, in, in Warren's piece, I dived into different theories why, but you know, ultimately I will say like, I, you know, just since being back have not paid as close of attention as, you know, as you, you know, as when I was over there. Well, you can read Warren's piece on pickandroll.com.au. We're here with James Wang, the Director of Athlete Marketing from Priority Sports. And James, post-basketball career, you obviously got into endorsements and agency. How did you realize that being an agent working in this world was something you wanted to do and how did you get into it? Yeah, so to 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 zoom out and give you a little background, it's uh, from for athlete marketing, I guess I what, what I deal with is guys' endorsement deals and um, – you know, shoe deals being one of them, uh, but mostly, um, you know, a lot of what they do off the court, right? How I got into it, it's it's funny. When I got back uh, from China, just kind of figuring life out, it's something that, you know, just it was a lot of luck, to be completely honest. I, you know, did my best I could networking around, you know, my wife and I lived in New York City then. You know, networking around New York City, I knew I, knew I wanted to be involved in, basketball or sports in one way or another and um you know just learning how to get into it and i came across a marketing agent uh from one of the biggest agencies in caa he's an olympic marketing agent he's an olympics agent right um and so he kind of introduced me to the industry gave me a quick rundown of what it's like and there was a position open just on just on linkedin for uh for another big agency wme um and it was just it happened that you know this guy knew who was hiring for the position and 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 put my name through and and the rest is history right um and sometimes that's all it takes is just you know happens by luck you get in and you you kind of work from there so career started wme it's funny a lot of it uh at the time was tennis you know they had just merged with img um and so absorbed a lot of the tennis clients my boss at the time uh, represented Nick Kyrgios wow. for, uh, yeah, for, um, basically all his marketing deals. So my first assignments was to try to find Nick Kyrgios a, a deal in Australia. Now this was 2018 when he's just coming off, you know, a lot of, a lot of bad press. So it definitely Part of the bad boy easy. Kyrgios era. <laughs> yeah. It, it was not easy. There were a lot of no's and you can imagine how tough it was trying to find something when I sat in New York, but, you know, it was one of my first tasks and uh, really fun to, to, it was, it was a great way to like, I guess, stay in touch with, you know, just what's happening in Australia. Cause you know, I had to 
basically research, you know, what are the, what are the, what are the hot brands right now uh, and, and try to find him something. And ultimately I did successfully find him, you know, a campaign with, uh, with Uber Eats back, back then. So yeah, it was, it's, it's hilarious. So everything about my life just kind of comes back around to, to Australia and, and what's happening down there, even though I'm so far away. James, let's get into the granular detail then. Like talk us through your day-to-day in terms of being an agent. So on the marketing side, it's uh, it's a little different than what uh, you would imagine, you know, my boss, Mark Bottlestein, um, what his day is like, right? You know, I deal with everything off the court. And so it's more of a process about, you know, highlighting what our players are interested in, what makes them unique. Uh, and then going out and, and, and finding partnerships uh, with brands and different companies that that would be interesting for them, right? And, and making sure that um, we are building them a portfolio of partners that they're excited about. Um, and as well as, you know, obviously, uh, you know, from a compensation standpoint, um, adds extra, you know, incremental income to them, right? And so it's, uh, you know, it's, I know this this industry is kind of glorified, but it's not. Uh, it's not sexy at all it's you know it's 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 old-fashioned sales it's researching companies it's finding the right people to get in touch with it's finding the right audience to tell uh your player stories to and 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 hope that you know there might be a partnership that's formed as simple as that and obviously there's strategy involved in in all of that but yeah the um the long and short of it it's it's good old-fashioned sales now, Mark Bottlestein has an extensive client list all across the world, as local as uh, Clint Steindl, the plays for my Tasmania Jack Jumpers, and you know a lot of NBA players, a lot of players around Europe and the G League. I'm interested in the process around that sort of wide of a client list, particularly when you've got guys that are potentially fighting for either the same roster spot in Mark's world or the same endorsement in your world. How do you navigate through those sorts of challenges where there there might be only one deal and there's multiple players that are kind of under your umbrella that might want that deal or might be eligible for that deal how do you kind of make sure that everyone gets out of this as happy as possible because ultimately that's the goal right it is it is and, and that, that side of things you know there's one roster spot on an nba team i i i can't speak to you know the, the on the brand side we give all of our guys the best possible shot that we that we can right um you know it's it's more of a because it's a partnership there's there's always two sides to it right and it's ultimately up to the brand to decide uh who they want to go with you know and you know we give different angles as to why you know a certain client may fit um a certain need or a certain ask and 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 you know a certain brand pillar uh, or a certain theme that the brand is trying to trying to strike, and ultimately, you know, if they go with um, any one of our guys, we we find it successful, right? The the difference, I guess, would be on on the brand partnership side. A guy can have, you know, we do so many more deals than um, the basketball side. You're you can only have one basketball job, whereas you can have, you know, you can have. So depending on like how you navigate the categories uh, conversation, you can have 10 to 12 to 15 endorsement deals at any given time. Right. And so, you know, it's not as, you know, the the competition between our players for um, brand deals is not, you know, it's not as big of a factor as 
you would think because there are just so many more opportunities out there. Uh, but the, you know, competition for one roster spot between our clients, I, you know, that's not, that's, that's, that's not anything I can really speak to. And one follow-up, Mark has a few Australians on his books, including, as we said, Clint Steindl. Joe Ingalls is another, um, you said that everything sort of comes back around to Australia. Um, Must be fun to deal with Australian athletes um, and have that background and you can probably um, really accentuate the Australian accent that you would have picked up during your time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh... It is fun. It's funny. Uh, Joe was, when he came around in, in Chicago, actually came to a, we had just happened to have a company party. Um, and he actually came to our company party, which was, uh, which was pretty funny. Um, and yeah, it was a good time, uh, you know, just getting to know him a little more and, and talking Australian hoops a little bit and knowing he on the national team, uh, plays for Brian Gordon and just, you know, kind of diving into, the 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 ins and outs of playing for him, um, you know, was was fun for sure. Speaking of everything coming back full circle in terms of Australian basketball, James, what's the Australian fraternity like for those involved in and around the NBA? Like we know the players get together, but what about those who work in and around the league? Yeah, what's interesting, you know, and and you know, the, the, there's a scout for uh, for the Utah Jazz that's that's Australian Asian. He and I have. I've gotten to form a pretty, pretty close relationship. Um, you know, the, the first step is identifying all of them. It's, it's tough, right? Like you never know. I know strength and conditioning there, you know, I know there's, you know, a good amount of Australian guys that are, um, strength coaches here in the NBA, but you know, it's, it's hard to come across them because, you know, they're, they're spread out in different cities and, and in their facilities. Um, but you know, even, you know, I, 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 I would say like, I'd love to make more of an effort to, to get to know more kind of, um, you know, Australians in our industry, you know, on the soft side, um, for sure. You know, it's, I'm sure there's a ton of like, uh, uh, there's, there's a ton of good banter going on across like, you know, Aussies meeting Aussies, you know, I just, you know, I'd love to meet more of them, but yeah, it's the biggest thing is the NBA is so spread out, right? Like you 30 teams in 30 different cities. Um, there are events, you know, that bring everyone together, like all-star and, and summer league where there are opportunities to kind of get together. But for the most part, like you're pretty spread out. So it's tough. You got to get that Aussies in the NBA WhatsApp chat going, James. I do. And it's, I mean, it's funny cause like, you know, I work for an agency. There's, there's no part of me that says I'm in the NBA unless, um, you know, I'm saying I work with a lot of NBA players, but like there's nothing that, you know, official that says, you know, I'm in the NBA. So it's like kind of an offshoot of it that no one really knows about. Well, James, hopefully a lot more people know about it now. Uh, James Wang, the director of athlete marketing with priority sports. Thank you so much for being on unwrapped with us today. Appreciate you guys having me. Unwrapped is presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League, an Australian-owned and operated baller lifestyle brand that aims to provide you with the freshest lifestyle apparel and courtwear. FBL's products emphasize a perfect mix of fashion, function, and comfort and make a bold statement in their distinctive white, black, and gold colors. From hoodies, jackets, t-shirts, and socks to their two signature shoes, the Edge in white and gold and the Threat in black and gold. Be bold with gold. Check out the FBL collection at fblsport.com today. 
Welcome back to Unwrap, the Pick and Roll podcast presented by FBL Fantasy Ballers League. Adam Webster with you. And today I'm joined for the very first time on Unwrapped by feature writer of the Pick and Roll, Will Crouch. Will, thanks so much for joining me today on Unwrapped. Mate, thanks so much for having me. Good to be here for the very first time for myself. And hopefully many more times to come now. You've been with the Pick and Roll for uh, a little under a year now. Uh, and the last couple of pieces you've done, I want to delve into those a little bit. One that came out just last week, just prior to the long weekend regarding Summer Hansen, uh, one of our up-and-coming Aussie female American college athletes. Um, mouthful, but uh, tells you exactly <laughs> where we're going. And uh, grew up in Queensland, a really cool story about how Summer grew up, um, how she was, I guess, tapped for a talent, um, how she got the opportunity to head over to the States um, and head to Sacramento State, and how now she's really leading that team and going from, you know, kind of unassuming beginnings to, uh, to this great role on a team that is really young, building, not winning all that much, but she's able to shine. Yeah, for sure. Summer, summer was awesome. It was really good to talk to Summer. You never know what you're going to get when you talk to these 18-year-olds off at college for the first time. Some of them are really well-adjusted. Some of them, you know, haven't had media training, which is totally fine, but you just kind of never know what you're going to get. And I was just so impressed by Summer straight off the bat. She spoke so well, so confidently and um, really measured as well. She really thought about what she was saying and She's just um, got this incredible story. I mean, I tried to do it justice writing it down and I probably couldn't even do that because it's just so fascinating. Um, I think anyone who is the child of an Olympian or a successful athlete, um, it's always so interesting to to listen to what they've learned growing up and um, listening to her, her talk about her old man, Bo Hansen, who was youngest ever Olympian um, Youngest ever Olympic rower, I should say, for Australia. Went to four Olympics and medaled and um, just had this terrific career. And now he's actually in the space of helping people reach their potential through coaching and high performance and testing and that kind of thing. So it's really cool. It was really cool to just listen to her perspective on kind of what it means to be an athlete and how she got to where she is and all that kind of thing. But I feel like the, um, you know, burying the lead, she grew up on a boat, um, which I just found so bizarre. Incredible especially as I get very seasick. So when she told me that, I was just really struggling to wrap my head around it. But uh, it was a little bit more normal than you might think. She grew up in a on this uh, on this fairly large boat with a bedroom and a bathroom for everyone who lived on it in a marina. And, um, yeah, it just sounded awesome, her childhood growing up and just going and playing in sport and jumping into the ocean and just having this really good time. But, um, you know, onto the basketball side of things. She um... no, no, we can't go on the basketball <laughs> yet, mate. I've got to ask you about the seasickness. In this piece, <laughs> you go to great depths to describe to people who have never been seasick before what seasickness feels like. Now, I, I don't get seasick. My wife does absolutely get seasick. So it was nice to see someone trying to describe to me something that I've never experienced and touch wood I'd never have to experience either. Well, without doing too much of a deep dive, my old man's um, travelled a lot for work and we've been on a few cruise liners as part of that as a family and um, found out pretty early on I was seasick and, uh, yeah, it's pretty miserable. The worst part of it is I probably didn't flesh it out too deeply, but there's just this (laughs) impending sense of doom that you get. Um, it's, It's beyond the actual, you know, the pain you're going through. It's the mental side of it where you just think, you know, like you're starting to think I'll never take for granted being 
healthy and feeling normal again and then you start to spiral and think I'm never going off land again and then you start <laughs> to spiral and think you know what, what can I do to get get through the next hour and it just it kind of like overtakes your mind and uh yeah I've been through that a few times it's uh you know probably says more about me I don't think everyone goes through that but uh it's not much fun I've got to say <laughs> every second feels like a minute and every minute feels like an hour I think oh, it's like an get out of that conversation so <laughs> summer gets seasick grows up on a boat is raised by an Olympian as a parent I got a kick out of the fact that she didn't listen to anything her parents said and learnt it instead from her coaches, um, which drove her parents crazy because they've been trying to tell this stuff for, for forever. But uh, she's picked up, goes to the Centre of Excellence, has an opportunity to go over to Sacramento State, and, and she's kind of ascending across the last few years in her career. Yeah, she's really kicking goals. And I, I really really like listening to her talk about how she has this dream of playing in the WNBL and she took stock of herself when she was at the COE and finishing at the COE of how she could achieve this dream. And, you know, she kind of was quite realistic with herself and said, you know, even though I've been, I've played for Australia and I've uh, been at the COE with some of the best coaches in the country, I'm not ready and I'm not going to get any more ready by signing up as a DP and, you know, doing a lot of indies and working with coaches but not getting to play and not getting to get those reps in that are so important. So um, that's when she, you know, kind of went down the college path and she, she, I didn't delve into it too much with her about her offers and stuff. She said she only got the one offer but it was the perfect offer. You know, it was a school that was in desperate need of someone to go and actually play and and do – do the grunt work on the court and it was it was a rebuilding era for this Sacramento State team and it can be quite hard, I think, if you're a coach to um, recruit when your team is struggling or going through a bit of a rebuild or bringing in freshmen. But she's just um, has really kind of like taken that opportunity with both hands. It's awesome to see if you look at some of her numbers through the first part of the year. They haven't had the wins, but she's been out there getting double-doubles and shooting a really good clip from the three-point line and kind of just putting, like, the team on her back in some games. And it's just so impressive to see someone who's only 18 and a freshman as well. Like, most freshmen, as you know, need a little bit of time to adjust to get used to the lifestyle and how it all works. And she's just kind of gone in there like a duck to water, I think. And uh, it's just been so impressive to see those numbers and see those results for her. The versatility stood out to me and, and her her desire to be able to diversify her skill set and her role on the team and, and slide down to the four and potentially even to the three. That's the hallmark of someone who wants to get better, is hungry to find, you know, where she fits in and, and doesn't necessarily just take her current position as her ceiling and, and doesn't pigeon herself into, well, I'm, I'm the tallest on the team, so I'm a center. Uh, it's more than that. For summer, and she's taking a, a different tact, which will stand her in good stead in whatever professional role she has in the future. Yeah, I absolutely agree, and I think it's another sign of her maturity. There are plenty of players who think, "Oh, you know what? I'm a bit undersized, but I'm going to do this because I know it and I'm good at it, and don't want to adapt. They want to be able to, you know, play the way they've played their whole lives." And it's a real credit to her. I mean, going going to the COE and finding out that you've got a bit of a broken shot, like no one wants to hear that. And yeah. probably even more daunting than that is like, you know, doing the rehab on a on a shot that needs some fundamental um, changes made to it. Uh, like it's a really hard process to go through. So it's it's a massive credit to her that she's um, not only like 
taken the feedback and fixed parts of her game like her shot, but also had that maturity to to look at her, you know, her style and her the way she plays and think, you know what, I'm gonna diversify this. I'm gonna look at what else I can do. So, you know, and it comes back to that dream of playing WNBL. Like if, you know, if that's what she has to do, I think she's willing to do just about anything to make that happen. So it's uh, it's a real credit to her and her like I suppose you'd call it the maturity, you know, of an 18-year-old who kind of knows where she wants to go and how she wants to do it and and is actually making it happen, um, putting in the hard yards early. And great to see. I mean, it's there's no doubt in my mind reading the way that Summer attacks the game that she'll play WNBL basketball at some point. The, the question for me is, can she project that even further forward and, and play for the Opals? Well, yeah, it's one of those things, you know, you, you just have to suck and see with these things. You get players like Izzy Borlase who, um, you know, we've had the pleasure of watching the last two years in Adelaide and she's just a superstar, but she's been a superstar from day one and she's always, she's you know, she puts in the work and she's just unreal to watch and you can look at someone like that and say, yep, they're going to be an Opal and, you know, she is about to be an Opal at these upcoming qualifiers. But then there are people like Steph Reed also in the team who, you know, don't play state teams growing up and it's it's that non-linear development in basketball. You get kids who are yeah. unreal and under 10s and then you get players playing for the Opals and the Boomers who, um, you know, there's a famous story in Adelaide about how uh, Joe Ingalls, you know, was playing in the lower divisions growing up and was a scrawny kind of scraggly kid and then, you know, next minute he's playing NBA and it's kind of like how did that happen? Anyone who watched him growing up uh, certainly didn't expect that. So, for summer, I think you know the biggest thing is is work ethic, um, and she's clearly she's clearly up for the fight. And if she's got the the frame and she's getting the reps in now, I think you just can't put a ceiling on these kids um, when they're this age. So certainly not out of the question. She's played you know junior basketball for Australia and committed to a few more years at college, getting better. And you know there's a there's a lot of openings in um, as far as you know there's always the demand for people who can play big. So we'll just have to wait and see, I think. Well, another piece you've done this month, Will, is regarding the Opal squad. You looked at Opals that had injury clouds. Can you give me an update on the squad announcement and any players that were selected in that squad that are subject to fitness that might not be taking their place in the side that heading to Brazil next week? Yeah, so a really interesting squad. I think the biggest name that you know everyone was maybe you know, turning their head when they uh, heard her named was Lauren Jackson. And she's been included, um, age 42. She just uh, continues to defy father time, which is uh, which is great. You know, you love to see Australia's greatest ever player still kicking internationally. Absolutely. She's in, but, I mean, the day the team got named, she had to go get a scan. And it's just one of those things. She's, she's making the trip to Brazil and she's going to play, but you do just kind of think, is there going to be – is it going to come to a head at some stage? Um, is there going to be an injury or a niggle or something that, um, you know, is it going to come to a head with LJ? But as far as the rest of the team, Tess Madgen's also going along. Uh, it's been really impressive to see her rehab over the last couple of, well, last year or so, coming back from a knee injury and then having a little niggle with her other knee. But she's come back. She's played for Sydney for a couple of games and done enough to prove that she's ready to go. And, the thing with Tess, as I kind of discussed in the piece, is that it's not all on-court stuff for Tess. She she has a massive impact when she is on the court, but she's kind of the um, the beating heart of the team in many ways. She's been the captain. She's helped the team navigate the post-Cambage era. And, um, 
really help rebuild the culture. So that's a massive inclusion, um, you know, having your spiritual leader going along. Players who have missed out, Alice Koenig, she's still recovering from her broken wrist, which is a massive shame. She's having a really good year, shooting the ball really well, and um, the timing just didn't work out for her. Christy Wallace, she's also still recovering from an injury, so still sidelined, but just a massive star of Australian women's basketball and uh, had a massive season in the WNBA. So fingers crossed she's okay for the games in Paris. Um, And the last one, which is a real shame she couldn't go to Brazil, is Steph Talbot. She was All-Star 5 at the World Cup um, in 2022, just a massive talent. The word was she wasn't quite ready to play, but I find that a little bit bizarre given she made her comeback for the Lightning on the weekend and in limited minutes looked like an absolute monster out there. I think she had 14 points, seven rebounds and a blowout win, but she just looked unreal. All the athleticism, all the hallmarks of her game, the strength, the speed, the defense were all just 10 out of 10. And she made some moves that you just think, geez, that's going to go a long way to deciding whether or not the Opals win a medal at Paris. Um, but sadly, not going to Brazil this time around. I think the the great thing about it is that these are qualifying games, so it gives these players an opportunity to be able to rehab, get ready potentially for Paris, because the vast majority would be you know in the first squad, I guess. Will? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's the best part about seeing Talbot on the weekend is you think she looks good, she looks ready to go, and she's going to be ready to go for Paris. So. You know, it opens the door in Brazil for someone like an Izzy Borlase to play and get some exposure at the international level and play, you know, hopefully play some minutes um, as someone who's going to be an Opal for years to come. Ditto with Jade Melbourne. She's earned a spot, probably would have on her own merit, but, you know, she'll certainly have the lion's share of work to do over there, which is awesome. But I think, you know, Steph Talbot has proved she's going to be ready for Paris. Tess Madgen's going over. Christy Wallace, we still need to see her play, but, it sounds like if she's ready to go, she'll be part of the team. Alice Koenig, a little bit more of a question mark. Need to see how that wrist goes when she's coming back. And LJ, I mean, we only have to look at that uh, bronze medal game at the World Cup to see what LJ can still do. And she's been pretty good for Southside this year. Limited minutes, a bit of a different role. But, you know, when someone is as talented as she is at the international level, she's going to be an asset. So it's it's exciting to see what's going to be what options Sandy Brondello is going to have a selection for Paris and, and how the team kind of comes together when, it, uh, when it's that time for selection. Well, the Opals will play Brazil, Germany and Serbia next week. So we're excited to see how the team progresses toward Paris. Will, I want to get on to your background for a second. I've been doing this with uh, the whole team at the Pick and Roll. You've been writing for the site for... Uh, a bit over six months now. So give me your background, how you fell into writing about basketball, where your love of the sport comes from, um, and what you do outside of the pick and roll. Yeah, for sure. So my day-to-day job, I work at Nine News in Adelaide as a sport producer, sport reporter, sport presenter, a bit of everything in the sport department, which is great fun. Really love what I do. Uh, being a parochial South Australian uh, news network, you know, it's all about footy. <laughs> during the uh, during the footy season, so basketball we're not able to perhaps give as much coverage as you know I would like personally as a basketball nuffy. So coming to the pick and roll was a bit of a no brainer. I reached out to the to the guys and said, "Look, I'm just a, a passionate basketball nuffy. I work in media. I love writing. Um, you know, and this has evolved for me into a bit of a passion project." Um, 
getting to write stories about people and tell their story and um, really flesh these things out that I probably otherwise wouldn't be able to do professionally. So yeah. for me, yeah, massively, um, massively rewarding. But personally, I um, I got into writing and, and media because I just um, academically wasn't that, um, I suppose it goes both ways. I was going to say academically gifted, but also academically interested, I suppose, in school. One of those yeah. kids who uh, just had a short attention span, was just busy <laughs> doing other things, wanting to play basketball and muck around and and do all sorts of other stuff. And, um, you know, I, I found myself, you know, okay at English and okay at media. So I kind of just went down that path at uni and um, as a sport tragic, someone who loves all sport, particularly basketball, that was kind of how it all married up together. You know, I, I grew up playing basketball my whole life, um, really passionate, put in a, a lot of effort and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of carry on on the bench and, and the sideline and on the court. I'd work really hard, but the talent just uh, wasn't quite there. So <laughs> I figured out pretty quickly I was never going to make it professionally and did the next best thing, which is, you know, watch basketball and talk about basketball and write about basketball, um, you know, in my spare time and, and in my professional time as well. We're going to have to get together a pick and roll basketball game and inter staff basketball game at some point, but I'll be on the bench <laughs> having a towel right next to you, Will. I was uh, going to say, I'll be there with you, mate. <laughs> Will, uh, thank you so much for joining me today on Unwrapped. Uh, Will Crouch from pickandroll.com.au. You can read his piece on Summer Hansen, his piece on the Opals, uh, and you can head to pickandroll.com.au for all the great content that we produce on a weekly basis. Will, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be part of the team. 